Thank you so much, Andrew, worship team, and Jess. And it's just such an honor to be with you, wherever you're tuning in from with us right now. Uh, thank you for that, and I'm glad to be with you. But if you are tuning in from somewhere, whatever you're doing, I need you to do me a favor right now. All right, so stop what you're doing and just focus on me for a second. Uh, maybe not just for a second, but for the rest of this message, but especially right now, I need your attention. All right, I'm going to give you a list of instructions for you to follow. All right, they're going to be tasks and things you can do with your body. Um, what I want you to do is just follow my instructions. Um, I'm going to go through the list one by one. Uh, you don't have to finish each one before you move on to the next one. You don't have to do them simultaneously. Simply move on to the next thing as I read it out. Does that good? All right, understood? Okay, are you ready? Let's go. First thing, clap your hands. Okay, clap your hands, that's good, all right. Okay, make arms like a chicken. You can do a chicken wing thing, okay, make arms like a chicken, right. Slap your knees, slap your knees, all right. And then click your fingers, click, 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 good. Okay, tap your feet. All right, now start reciting the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, okay, I think that's right. Okay, do the jazz hands, jazz hands, all right. Okay, and then pull on your ears. Okay, now stop, okay. Now, think back with me for a second, okay? What was the fifth thing that I asked you to do just now? The fifth thing that I asked you to do? It was a really short list. It was only eight things. So the fifth thing I asked you to do, can you remember? For some, it might be easier than others. Actually, it was tap your feet. Oh, right? Sometimes, following and remembering instructions is not the easiest thing to do. Personally, I am terrible at this. I am really bad. Let me give you a quick example. My friends, Rennie and Kerry, um, who used to be here at the Vine, they're back in the States now. So if you're watching Rennie and Kerry, hello, we love you. Uh, they used to live on Muiwo. And we loved going to visit them there. Muiwo was great. And we would visit them with uh, very often. And so one day, I was on one particular visit. I was visiting them. And we were visiting in Muiwo. And Rennie needed me to take her bicycle and go and grab something from the other side of town. Right? I didn't know how to get there, so she needed to give me directions. Right? But for some reason, the moment she started talking, the moment she started giving me directions, my mind goes completely blank. Actually, as a confession, this happens quite often when people give me directions, so give me instructions. Um, so Rennie starts thinking, okay, um, Ellison, ride to the meat shop. You know where that is, right? So, yes, I know where the meat shop is. Okay, now we're going to the meat shop, take a left, and then afterwards, and you know how in those movies where um, the, wave start, the, the screen starts going all wavy and it cuts to like the beach or like, you know, you're eating a cheeseburger or something like that, right? That's exactly what happens in my mind. Okay? I just completely blank. I begin to drift off and Rennie's still talking to me, okay? And I'm hitting her back with the occasional, mm-hmm, yep, okay, gotcha, right. But I am totally checked out. I'm not listening to a single word she's saying whatsoever. Okay, and then the conversation ends when he says, okay, you've got to hurry up and get there because he's waiting for you, all right? I was like, uh-oh. But being the idiot that I am, I just said, okay, fine. I, I was just about to ride off into the, into the island without the faintest clue about where I was going or what I was going for, who I was going to meet. Thankfully, Brittany had been standing next to me the whole time. And I think she recognized like the glaze that went over my eyes as Rennie started speaking. And so she said to her, hey, Rennie, watch this. Ellison, can you just quickly repeat to Rennie the instructions she just gave you? 
I was in trouble now, right? I had no idea. I said, oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to the meat shop, and then I'm taking a left, and then, you know, just going to that place, right? It's going to be fine. I'll find him eventually somewhere. Like I said, seeking and following directions for our life can be challenging. But as followers of Jesus, we need to get good at this church because Jesus wants to guide our lives. And Scripture time and time again tells us and reminds us that we are to live obedient lives to our Father in heaven. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2 to help us figure this out. Now, I know we just got done with Christmas. In fact, there's only another 340 days to go till next Christmas. Woohoo! Yeah, 342 days, all right? And Matthew 2, I know, is traditionally a Christmas passage. So it might sound a little familiar, but the approach we'll take today, as we've been talking about, as Andrew's been saying, we're going to be looking at it um, as a guide to see how God leads us in different times of our life. Because I know many of us, myself included, have often asked ourselves these questions, right? Where, uh, how does God guide us? Does God even want to guide me? What is God's will for my life? What does He want me to do? Where does He want me to go? And as we've been saying, church, you know, it's time to dream again. It's time to hear God's direction again for our lives and follow Him with everything that we have. So let's read this passage. You can follow along on the screen or if you have a real Bible, if you're one of the super spiritual ones, um, open up your Bible or you can follow along on the screen and um, we're going to read Matthew 2 together. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. The first thing I want to notice is that we have a God who wants to lead us. The Magi, or these wise men, are some of the most mysterious characters in the whole Christmas story, right? In this passage. Who were they? Where did they come from? What did they do? Now, the general idea is that these were a group of men, probably more than three, despite the lovely Christmas carol that we sing um, around that time of the year, more than three, a group of men, um, who were wealthy and influential in the area they were from. Somewhere in the east, they, people say maybe either Persia, Babylonia, something like that. Uh, they would have been like magicians and astrologers, intellectuals, and people who studied the skies and the movements of the stars and the planets and all, that things, all, those, all those kind of things. Well-educated, powerful people. And so as they were studying the skies, they noticed this supernatural phenomenon of a moving star. And for some reason, they felt compelled to follow the star. And they were following it because they knew exactly where it was leading. God was using the star to guide the Magi towards Jesus. And in their obedience, the Magi followed with a very clear purpose. It tells us very clearly in Scripture. To worship the one who had been born king of the Jews. Now, we have to pause here a minute because this is pretty exciting. It's really phenomenal what's happening here. Because here we have a group of pagan Gentiles. They didn't worship God before this. They trekked hundreds of miles following a mysterious star with the sole purpose of going to meet Jesus, worshiping him and blessing him with these really awesome, expensive, amazing gifts. 
God's sovereign guidance is evident in this picture. And so one of the first principles we learn here, church, is this. God is always, always trying to guide people towards him. And the other thing is this. In fact, there isn't anyone that God cannot reach with his love, with his guidance. Or in other words, you might say it this way. Everyone is capable of having God impact their lives and reveal himself to them to direct them into a relationship with him. Maybe today you're in a place where you felt like, you know, it's been so tough the past few years. I don't know if I can follow or trust God anymore. Maybe, like um, Andrew was saying just now, you've been wrestling with some sin and some hidden things in your life and you feel like, I'm too far gone. Jesus can't guide me anymore. Or maybe you've been trying to reach someone with the gospel and you've been saying to yourself, you know what, God, this isn't going to work. That people, those people or that person will never become a Christian. They will never become followers of you. The beginning of this passage is a reminder for us that God's intention, like we've been saying, is to guide all people towards him, everyone, all nations, all kinds of people to believe in him, to follow him, and to worship him. So have you ever thought that you're too far gone? Or you think those people are too far away from Jesus? Be encouraged, church. God's heart is to reach everybody. And often he'll use the most amazing and creative ways to guide people towards him. And the most amazing thing is that, in fact, sometimes we see the most reluctant people, the, most, the people we thought would never become a Christian, become some of the most influential people of our faith. C.S. Lewis himself once said that he was the most reluctant convert in the whole of England. The Apostle Paul called himself the worst of all sinners, and yet these two men, we know the amazing impact they've had on his kingdom here on this earth. Following Jesus. And anyone can reach a stage where they want to follow Jesus. God can guide all people towards him. But the reminder for us here is that we have to be obedient and follow that. It has to be a conscious choice and action that we take. These wise men, these magi weren't forced to follow God. They made that decision himself to go and to worship him. It took time. It took obedience. It took effort. But when they got there, they were ready and excited to worship Jesus when they arrived in Bethlehem. As we step into this New Year church, a question that I've been asking myself and now I'm asking you is this. Are you excited to worship Jesus? Are you excited to see all that he's got planned for you, all the dreams that he still has for you in this year? Does that bring you joy and excitement? Because if not, if our attitudes aren't like that, very quickly, we might turn to be more like Herod in this story. Let's look at Herod's reaction to Jesus' birth. Verse 3, it says this, When King Herod heard this, that is the birth of Jesus, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has said. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. 
As soon as you have found him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Do you know that feeling, guys, when um, you're having a conversation with someone and then they suddenly say something surprising or maybe even offensive to you, upsetting to you, but you don't want to let it show, right? So you just have to keep a poker face and you just keep nodding and smiling along, but inside you're thinking all these thoughts already. This is kind of what's happening to Herod right now. And Matthew is purposely highlighting the difference in attitude between the Magi and, and Herod himself. He's purposely highlighting that reaction. As we've discovered, the Magi are happy and excited, joyful to go and worship Jesus. Herod, on the other hand, feels the opposite. He is disturbed, particularly because this title, the King of the Jews, that the Magi just casually threw out, he saw this as his title. This was the title that the Roman Empire had given to him. He was supposed to be in charge. He was the king of this area. And he had a terrible reputation of being someone who was completely ruthless. He was a paranoid man, a brutal leader, desperate to protect his own power. So desperate, in fact, that he even had his wife and some of his sons killed at one point because he thought they were plotting against him. But didn't the angels proclaim church? They proclaimed when they met the shepherds, right? Good news and great joy for all people. Herod doesn't see things this way. Instead, right away, he sees this as a threat to his power and he plots to kill Jesus. He does some fact checking with some of his chief priests and teachers of the law and they confirm what the wise man has said. The prophecy has come true. The time of waiting is finished. A new ruler, a new leader has been born. This was going to be the true king. The, the best shepherd that Israel, the world has ever seen, was about to be born. So Herod's plan was then to trick the Magi into giving him the location of Jesus, not so he could worship him like he, they would, but his plan was to murder him. But another interesting thing I want to see here for us as church is this. The religious leaders who were also anticipating, studying the scriptures, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, they too don't seem very excited about the birth of Jesus. They knew all along this was happening, very clear that they knew what was happening, but yet they make no effort to go and seek him out. Perhaps these people, these chief priests, these teachers of the law were also worried about the threat that Jesus would bring to their authority. They love being in control. They love their power over the people. And what would happen if people started following this true shepherd, this true king, instead of what they were teaching? How was he going to undermine their authority? The point is this, church. None of this contradicts what the angels had said. Jesus' birth does bring good news, does bring great joy to all. However, you have to be in the posture to receive it. You have to be in the posture to accept it. And it has to be a posture of surrender, of obedience, of humility. But maybe it's more straightforward, if I, and more, a bit more challenging, if you allow me, church, to say it this way. Do you view Jesus as a threat to the direction you want to live your life? Because if you do, then his presence will never bring you joy. I know that there's been times in my life when I wanted to follow Jesus, I just said it with my mouth. But in reality, I had already made up my mind. 
See, I didn't really want to follow God. I didn't really want God's will for my life. I just wanted him to go along with whatever I had already decided. And when plans didn't work out, when things didn't work out, I ended up feeling angry and bitter and resentful. But let me encourage you with this. Jesus isn't here to ruin your lifestyle. Jesus isn't here to rain on your parade. He's not here to constrain the way you live your life. Jesus is here so you can have life in the full. Jesus is here so you can have freedom for who the Son sets free is free indeed. The question comes back to this. Are you willing to follow Jesus' direction in your life? Are you willing to be obedient to where he's guiding you? Because when we do so, only when we do so, is when you'll find that Jesus' presence is good news and he brings you peace and he brings you joy. So now, after having found the, Jesus, uh, the joy from finding Jesus and worshiping him, the Magi finish with their visit with Jesus and they're getting ready to go home. Actually, before that, they promised Herod that they would go and tell him where Jesus is, not knowing that Herod had been plotting to kill Jesus all along. But God had other plans. You see, this is how God leads us in some miraculous and, and amazing ways. And God speaks to them in a dream. Having been born in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they return to the country by another route. The word warn the Bible uses here emphasizes it's a supernatural in intervention. This dream from God was totally unexpected, and it's just like God to work that way in our lives sometimes. Maybe you've already experienced this. God changes your direction, guides you somewhere, shows you something that you've never able, even imagined or thought before, but you know it was God guiding you. These wise men did not anticipate this. And Herod certainly did not anticipate that some dream would challenge and, and, and make ruin his plans to kill Jesus. But this, in this dream of warning, God demonstrates who is truly in control over all things. Like Andrew said last week, God was in that place, but they didn't even know it. God was stepping down to meet them. And the Magi's response, we see, was again in obedience. And they leave that place without going back to Herod. God had used a star to guide them to Bethlehem, and now he was using a dream to guide them back home. And the, the thing for us today is this, church. God wants to continue to guide you. And of course, I know God can speak to you in a dream, but this isn't the norm, or should we expect God to speak to us in dreams all the time, or else we'd be asleep all the time and we wouldn't get anything done, right? These dreams, and, and later we see wise men, um, uh, the dreams of the Magi and Joseph um, accept, uh, are seen, serve a particular purpose at a particular time. But God does continue to guide us in lots of different ways. One of the ways he does this, of course, is through our own intellect and common sense. God has given you a great mind. All of us, definitely all of us, he's given you a great mind. So use it. Think through things some of the times and use your mind and, and analyze. God's given you this gift of mind to reason, to see what's right and what's wrong. But sometimes that is difficult to do, which is why we can turn to others. Community plays a huge part here. This is why it's essential to surround yourself, church, with Christ-minded community. In times of uncertainty, we can go for them and ask for their advice. 
We also have the fullness of God's word, the Bible, to help us, to inspire us, to lead us. When you seek direction, are you also studying God's word diligently and seeking his will through the written word of God, allowing him to speak to you in that way? Of course, oftentimes also he speaks to us through our prayers. And this is why this period of praying and fasting, it could be such a significant time for your life and for the church, life of this church and this community. At the beginning of the year, fasting and praying can be one of the most critical ways God wants to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. But again, once he does speak, we have to be willing to respond in obedience. The wise men obeyed the stream instead of returning to Herod. Perhaps if they had gone back to Herod, they would have received blessings and gifts, but God told them to go in a different direction, and that's what they decided to do. Even though Herod was the one in that person in that area with the authority, going against his request could have been tricky and might have had actually some bad consequences for them. Maybe this is a point you can relate to too, church. Sometimes in life, have you ever felt like you're bound to certain paths, bound to certain directions, and maybe even specific voices of authority that have spoken into your life? This might be even more prevalent for us in our Hong Kong Chinese context. Right? Traditionally, we follow what our elders say, and, and that's what's expected, right? Total obedience, because anything else would be disrespectful to them. Now, please don't get me wrong. Hear me here, church. I'm not saying that every single voice of authority in your life is evil and wrong. In fact, Scripture also reminds us of respecting our elders, of honoring, even obeying our father and our mother. This is a big, important thing we have to embrace in our relationship with Jesus too. However, at the same time, we are also to discern. And when God gives us guidance and direction, He becomes our ultimate source of authority. One of, the most, one of the most critical reasons that connecting with Christian community in this time is that these decisions are often hard to make. When God leads us in this way, it's always wise to check it with those around us. We see with the wise men, it wasn't a wise man, it was wise men. It wasn't just one single magi, it was a group of these people traveling together. They would have discussed, they would have studied, they would have had discussions about what we're doing, how we're doing in our following. But ultimately, when God speaks and offers us a different path, our reaction, again, is to be obedient and to follow. Joseph, in this passage, is another person that displays excellent obedience to God's guidance. With Herod now furious and on a murderous rampage, Jesus' life is in danger. And so the angel of the Lord, it says, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for and kill him. Now, of course, this isn't the first time that Joseph has received a dream. Early in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is about to quietly divorce Mary when he finds out she's pregnant. But in a dream, God speaks to Joseph and says, this, this child is from the Lord. And so don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph obeys. This moment, Joseph is facing another critical decision. He has to act in order to save his son's life, to save Jesus' life. And once again, he receives a dream. 
This time, it's to take the child and flee into Egypt. I think what, scripture, what Matthew's doing here is reminding us of another story. Maybe think back with me for a bit as well. When was there another time that God led people into Egypt in order to save their lives? Well, the last time this happened, it also involved a man named Joseph, who was also known as a dreamer. Joseph had these grand dreams that his brothers and his father would bow down to him. And his dreams got him into trouble, right? To the point that his brothers sell him into slavery. But in his story, Joseph too stays obedient to God. And God guides him and God uses him in most spectacular, amazing ways. And Joseph rises up in power, eventually somehow becomes second in charge of the whole of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And then God uses Joseph's interpretation of dreams to manage the whole region through a severe famine. You see, for this Joseph, his dreams were so much more than the fanciful thinking of a young boy. The bigger picture was that God was using these dreams to help save people from certain death, from starvation during a famine. And it's the same thing for this Joseph happening right now. On one level, God is speaking to Joseph to rescue Jesus from certain death. But Matthew also wants us to know there's a bigger picture happening here. Because Joseph listened to the direction of the dream, it was fulfilled, it said, what the Lord had said, that through the prophet, um, what the prophet had said, out of Egypt, I had called my son. Let me make this a little bit clear. My point is this. When God speaks to us in dreams, there's often a more significant purpose behind it. When God guides us and leads us, there's probably a more significant and direction behind what he's calling you to do. Of course, there's also always the personal element to when God guides us. After all, you're the one receiving the dreams. You're the one receiving God's direction. But normally we think of these things, especially dreams, as quite personal, right? And so we usually ask, what does this dream mean for me? But like I've been saying, most of the time when God speaks to us this way, there is a bigger purpose behind it. Joseph's dream gave his family safety, but he was also fulfilling scripture and prophecy. By going into Egypt and returning once it was safe later, he was declaring that this child, Jesus, was like the new Moses. Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, but this new Moses will lift the whole of humanity out of sin and death once and for all. And it's the same for us today. For the dreams and the directions and the guidance that God gives us today. When God gives us dreams and directions, we shouldn't just ask what this means for me, but we should also be asking, what is God's more significant plan and purposes through these dreams. And when you act in obedience to these dreams and direction that God is giving to you, these dreams are not only for your own flourishing, but the benefit for God's larger unfolding plan to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You have no idea how God might want to bless someone else, even someone you might not know, through your obedience of God's leading in your life. Let me give you an example from my own story. Some years ago now, Brittany and I were doing some outreach in Simsa Choi. This was the Christmas outreach, and we were partnering with sons and daughters uh, that year. And so, you know, there came time for us to gather back again, and we'd, we'd done outreach. We met a few people. 
Um, but as we were going back, we felt God very strongly say, okay, um, hey guys, just walk down Ashley Road one more time. Walk down Ashley Road one more time. And so we did. We started walking down Ashley Road, and that's when, out of the blue, we met a lady named Lisa. Lisa was an asylum seeker who had come to Hong Kong from a West African nation. And she had been trafficked to Hong Kong and trying to make ends meet, repaying a lot of debt, you know, all that kind of terrible things that many of our CLM seekers wrestle with in this city, which meant that she couldn't make ends meet. And so she was out on the streets actually resorting to sex work. And so we bumped into her and we invited her to the Christmas party that was happening the next day. We dropped off a small gift, we gave her an invitation, saying, come to this location tomorrow, there'll be a party for you. We didn't know whether she was going to show up. But surely, the next day came, she came to the party. And after the party, she kept coming back. She stayed connected. And over time, she learned new skills, how to bake, how to sew, how to do different things. And with the support of a new community and a lot of grace and love from Jesus, she never had to resort back to sex work again. And in fact, with these new skills she learned, she was able to go back to her home country, open, first of all, she opened a bakery, and the last we heard from her, she had opened a school. And that had always been her dream, to open a school to teach the children in her village, in her area. This was something she had dreamed of doing. You see what's happening, church? That day, we weren't just going to do an outreach just to fulfill, oh yeah, we take that box for this Christmas. We were there for a bigger purpose, to connect with Lisa and what God had put onto her heart. Joseph wasn't just escaping from her evil ruler. He was fulfilling the God's word, making prophecy come to life. And your dreams are the same, brothers and sisters. The dream that God has given to you, there's a greater purpose behind that. But for you to see that happen, for you to see it come into fruition, you must be obedient to what God has asked you to do. So Joseph and his family, going back to the story now, and now in Egypt, they stay until Herod has died and the danger was over. And we see God continuing to guide them. Once again, an angel appears to the, in the dream and says, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went back to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having again been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district in Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what had said to the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. God's continued guidance is evident in this passage. And this is the final thing I want us to um, grasp out of this today. As God leads us, he doesn't just lead us to particular places, to a particular point and says, okay, oh well, I'm just going to leave you here. You figure it out from now on. God never leaves anything undone. You know, in this story, as we read, it's just a few sentences. In reality, there was a period of time, probably about a year, that Joseph and Jesus and Mary stayed in Egypt before going back home again. But if we continue to trust in God, if we continue to guide us, he will fulfill his purposes. God never leaves anything halfway done. Our purpose, our job is to keep listening, to keep obeying. And this is a reminder for us, church, that obedience isn't just a one-time decision, but rather it has to be a process or even better, a lifestyle of how we choose to live. 
Living a life of obedience becomes essential. We see this in the way Jesus lived his life. We see that as Jesus was a young boy, he goes missing in this one story, right? But when his parents find him, he says, why were you so worried? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I had to be listening to what my father was saying to me? In Jesus' ministry, every time he's challenged by leaders for healing people on the Sabbath or for doing something that supposedly broke the rules, his response is this, very truly I tell you, I can do nothing by myself. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. And so as I was looking at this passage, the most fantastic thing, church, ultimately, the, the most mind-blowing thing to me was this, that it's through living obedient lives that God fulfills his purpose on this earth, that God defeats evil. We see this happening right here in this story. Every man-made plan to harm Jesus throughout his life was thwarted because people acted in obedience to what God was telling them. We see this happening at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus was obedient even to death on the cross, Philippians 2.8. And it was on the cross. It was on that cross that Jesus gave up his life and finally defeated sin and death for us once and for all. Obedience, therefore, is key to us seeing God's work in this world. We have all these dreams, we have all these hopes for our lives, for our families, for our church, for Hong Kong, for this world. And we want God, we pray for God to come and lead us and to guide us. But if we really want to see God move, if we truly want to see justice removed, uh, injustice removed, if we truly want to see good triumph over evil, we must remain obedient to go, to do, and say as God has called us to do. And it's a challenge. It's not going to come easy. Continued obedience, making it a lifestyle, is one of those things we have to encourage each other in. But if I could say just one thing that's helped me in this journey, one of the key things I try to remember as I stay close to God is confession. By regularly coming before God, by acknowledging, yes, often we fall short of what He has us to do, By confessing my sin to him, I am also declaring my need for him. And each and every time God meets me where he is and covers me with his love and his forgiveness. And once again, I feel his closeness to me and I'm able to follow and and do as he's called me to do. And we realize how beautiful it is to be close, to obey, to follow Jesus. So church, as we're still at the beginning of 2022, as we step into this new year, yes, God wants to continue to guide us. And I pray that God will give you these amazing dreams. I pray that he speaks to you, inspires you in the most, uh, you know, in the most surprising type of ways. But however God tries to speak to you, however God tries to guide you, my prayer, our prayer is that our posture will be one of obedience like the Magi, like Joseph, like many others we've seen in Scripture throughout history, may we always be ready to follow as God leads us. Pray with me, church. So Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you never leave us lost or abandoned. 
that you are the true king. You are the good shepherd. And you will even go out of your way to come find us when we're lost, to bring us close to you. And so, Father, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds this morning. Transform us into people who are obedient to following you. Show us the real joy there is when we give everything, when we surrender all before you, and when we truly are in step with your will and your purpose in our lives. It's not always going to be easy, we know, Lord. But we know that is exactly where you want us to be. That is exactly where you want your church to be. For this is exactly how you use your people to make known your love, to bring justice, to bring peace, to bring light, to bring love into this world. So, Father, lead us, guide us, shape our hearts to follow you and you alone, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.